Hello, this is Adam, and a quick note on this episode. This was recorded at the end of March. We're releasing it uh, over three months later, frankly, because some of the challenges that Jordan and I discuss on this episode, my challenges, emotionally became far more intense and really derailed me from doing much of anything. And while it doesn't take much to get an episode online, it does require a little bit of, uh, of work, and I just didn't do it until now. And so I had some hesitation as to, is it even worth releasing this episode? But I think it is because it's classic, not therapy for better or for worse. It's Jordan and I exploring our minds and hearts and fears and hopes. And I hope you enjoy it. I'm Adam Strauss. And I'm Jordan Iper, MD. And this is not therapy. I mean, it's pretty much therapy. It's not therapy, man. My mind has been struggling to to make sense of the very intense and sometimes destabilizing experiences I've been having in recent weeks. Mm. And because ordinarily, when I'm struggling with something, there's a pretty clear narrative around it. Mm-hmm. I generally know, or at least think I know, what the problem is. It seems a little tidy to always, to always know. But that's the, the beauty of OCD is that, mm-hmm. is that with OCD you're you're basically reducing the infinitely complex and chaotic universe to essentially to one variable: is the stove off? Is the mm-hmm. light switch off? Are my hands perfectly clean? I don't have those forms of OCD, me personally. Yeah. So for me, it's did I make the right decision? Am I making the right decision? Essentially, am I optimizing everything? Have I done everything correctly? And the magical thinking component, I and mean, we've talked about this, where OCD in the traditional um, sort of psychiatric framework, it's seen as, well, it, in the Freudian sense, it was more of like a... a a an erotic disorder rather than a psychotic disorder like say schizophrenia but i i view ocd as having an element of psychosis or at least of real disconnect from reality and one of the mm-hmm. one facet of that is this belief that well if i can get this one thing right that all i have to worry about is this one thing and then everything else will be will take care of itself yeah yeah so so often my suffering is connected to a particular obsession, a decision most often that I I need to make. And so at least on the surface, I do know why I'm struggling because I need need to make this decision. And yeah, yeah, but that has not been the case with my recent challenges. Yeah, because it it seems like you could also have, I'm wondering if this has been going on for you, you could have like a meta OCD where the only problem in your life is that you're having an OCD crisis. It's like, oh, everything would be fine if I wasn't having an OCD crisis about which plane ticket to get. I'm not like you have the meta awareness to know that it's the decision about the plane ticket itself is not the problem. It's the fact that you're obsessing about it. But that's still a way of being certain about what the problem is. If you're certain that the problem is OCD about the decision, it's another it's another layer of certainty whereas i'm wondering if what we're going to get into today was um it was harder to put a finger on it it wasn't like oh i'm having an ocd crisis this week i'm really stuck in it it was something else going on maybe 
Yeah, yeah. It's not clear to me what's been going on. So, well, so I, let's I might get well, into it. Yeah. So, so we haven't really. Uh, we talked last week about more distant past stuff, but we haven't talked that much. You and I have talked offline somewhat, but also not not that much about what's been happening here. So I've now been at my parents' place for what I think like eight months or so. Yeah. Initially, I was going to be here for about three weeks, and. We might have talked about this a little bit last week. Early on, there was this feeling of, I actually did have probably the last real OCD crisis I had was back in October where I was really trapped. Should I go back to the Bay Area? Should I stay here? And I wound up deciding to stay here. And it's been a really, a wonderful experience in a lot of ways. It's There's been a lot of... It's felt like there's been a lot of growth and a lot of opportunity for growth. And that's one reason I've stayed is because it feels to me that at least where I'm at now, I mean, for so long, I was so intent on fixing myself as though I existed in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. And at least now I realize that a key to, to me having any sort of balance and, and sense of, you know, being healthy in my life, service is, is indispensable Mm -hmm. being of service to other people. And a key, key phrase in that is other people. Mm-hmm. So not that you can't do service remotely, and indeed I think I do with various OCD support groups and stuff like that, And but there's something about living with people that, that affords opportunities for, yeah, for, for being of service. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as just, it's, you know, when I was younger, I, I went through a phase, I had this relationship end with Angie and, 2003 and I really started isolating then and I went through a phase years and years where I really felt like the answer was kind of being alone in nature nature gives me a sense of love and connection but without the you know often the anxiety that can come in being in an intimate relationship with another person so Mm -hmm. I didn't conceive of it that clearly then but the point is I I for a long time, I was able to, of course, most of the time I was in New York, so I was around people, but I would spend weeks and sometimes months really not seeing many people. I was a winter caretaker at a house in Martha's Vineyard for several months, hmm. and I wouldn't say I was living a healthy, balanced life. I was pretty sick in a lot of ways with OCD, but I wasn't aware of feeling lonely. Uh, you know what? I actually don't even know if that's true. I think the loneliness did did get to me, but it was less of a it was less of a factor. But as I've gotten older, it's yeah. There's been more and more of a desire. There was before. this very ro- for a long time. There was a very romantic ideal that solitude in nature was sort of what you needed. Is my- I don't. I wouldn't say it was a romantic ideal. I would say it was my my just my own my experience yeah. was I could get and still do get such intense ecstasy from being in nature yeah and and that ecstasy is often best appreciated alone you know when i can really just go into it really into this this sort of deep level of appreciation that i'm not able to i'm able to access it uh via art some to some degree particularly literature and music but i couldn't stop thinking about you like going into the forest alone and there's just like a tree and there's like a little pressed pill <laughs> there's a little door you open on a tree and there's a little pressed ecstasy pill and you right. take it and you're just like whoa gnashing your teeth sweating <laughs> pupils I, dilated yeah this is I, intense ecstasy 
It is though. It's it it feels like that sometimes where it can be, yeah, very, very intense. But with a piece that is often not there yeah. with drug experiences. Yeah. No, I I very much I very much relate to that. I've always I grew up in in the country without many people around, and I've always found that being alone in nature is a way to get my head straight. I kind of need to like retreat and I find safety in solitude in nature for a brief moment. And then, and and finally, and and like things can congeal in my head and I can sort of feel normal again and then be ready to go back out into the world. But of course, yeah, you can't, if you stay there, then you're the hermit in the, in the cave. Right. It's like the, uh, you know, the ox herding pictures in, in Buddhism. I don't know if no. we might have even talked about this before. No. It's this series of, ah, it's been so long since I was, you know, I went through this very obsessive phase with Zen that lasted five years meditating, you know, 364 days a year. The Zendo was closed on Christmas Day. Anyway, that's, we might or may not have talked about that, but the, the ox herding pictures are this, this classic. It's really a tool, I would say, in Zen, but it's a series of pictures that depict the journey to enlightenment and the last, I believe it's the last picture. So at some point you're on the mountaintop. I believe that's the one that represents enlightenment. Uh, you become one with the ox. I, I don't remember them that well, but the final picture I'm fairly certain is you return to the marketplace. Mm. So you return to where you started. You go back mm-hmm. and re-enter society, but now bringing this new um, awareness with you. Mm-hmm. But you do re-enter the marketplace, and that always stuck with me. That the idea of—I mean, certainly it seems like some people are called to be literal monks yeah. and nuns, and but I've never felt that that was my calling. And for most people, it's all of the work of self-development and self-realization is is ultimately not about achieving some state of of permanent ecstasy, but a being of greater service to your fellow man and woman. And so you you descend from the mountaintop, you go back to the marketplace, you're still clad in the same rags and still eating the same gruel from your bowl, yeah. but now now, now you have uh, you know an exponentially greater opportunity to to engage with life in a way that is yeah. of service. Yeah. So that's to say that yeah, it can get old certainly and it can feel self-indulgent at a certain point. But um, yeah, in terms of staying at my parents, so part of it was this feeling that, oh, I can be of service here. And mm-hmm. I think I did relate this last time that the last sort of strong mushroom trip I had back in, I guess it was July, it felt like I, I, I had the clear message, thought, whatever it was that you're good, man. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're solid. You really don't have to worry so much about fixing yourself. Now it's about... Who can you help? Who needs you? And oh, my parents need me. It's a good one. So I, um, you know, but when I was, but back in October, here I was, I, I was, you know, it felt like I did need help. I was obsessing about staying here, going back to the Bay Area. And the main draw, the single biggest draw, you're part of the draw of going back to the Bay Area, Jordan. There's, uh, there's a small number of other people, but the biggest draw by far is the nature there. Mm-hmm. But I decided to stay partially because I felt like, okay, I can be of service here and partially because I just didn't want to be alone. And there was a recognition that if I went out there, most of the time I would be alone. I don't have a relationship with Clara anymore, obviously. It's a lockdown. And even if it weren't a lockdown, there was a sense that 
I'm not doing shows. That's sort of a linchpin of my connection to other people typically is doing shows, both the connection to the audience, but also just seeing the lighting tech before the show and chatting, going out to dinner with people after the show, having that regular social contact. So there was a sort of a pull towards the possibilities of being of service to my parents and also a pull away from the idea of maybe being very isolated if I went back to the Bay Area. Yeah. And so I decided to stay, but it was also, it wasn't like I had to make an ironclad commitment for a certain amount of time. So it was kind of like, all right, I'm going to play it by ear, but for now I'm staying. And I've wound up staying because it's really been a pretty deep for me kind of opening experience in terms of seeing, seeing a lot of tendencies I have with my parents and through, I'd say prayer seems to be the most powerful tool, tool in this regard, as it often is in my life. But being able to l- identify, basically seeing how I actually am showing up to you know, being with my parents, seeing that that's not how I want to show up, mm-hmm. getting a clear sense of what do I, how do I want to show up, how do I want to be. Seeing sometimes just seeing that and that's enough that okay, I want to do that. I'll do that But very often it's like all right I want to show up in a certain way, but I seem unable to because I continually am taken over by these tendencies towards Anger in various forms frustration Mm -hmm. standoffishness and that's where prayer comes in as I've said many times prayer for me is when there's something When there's a way I want to be not something I want the universe to give me, but a way I want to be that is theoretically within my control, but yet I seem unable to do. That's where prayer is. Mm-hmm. I've not found another tool that can take its place for me mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now. And yeah, I saw it. I mean, so early on, it was like, wow, I just really have this. My mom walks in the room and sometimes I'm friendly, but very often my body tenses up and the thought I'm having is, oh, God, I don't want, I want to be alone right now. Mm-hmm. I don't want her to be be here. Mm-hmm. And and realizing that, oh, that's not that's not who I want to be. That's not how mm-hmm. I want to show up to this mm-hmm. relationship. I'm here for a limited amount of time, and I mean that both I'm here at their place, but also I'm here on this planet. They're here for a limited amount of time. I've chosen to be here. So yeah, what I really want to I actually want to show up not just with not just without anger and frustration. I want to show up actively with love and friendliness. When she walks in the room, I want to be like, "Oh, how you know? How's it going? Oh, we're, we're, you just went for a walk. How? Where'd you go?" Yeah, that's how I want to show up, mm-hmm. and it was pretty remarkable to me. The other tool that has been integral, and a lot of the stuff is from twelve-step mm-hmm. um, systems, because as we've talked about, I do a twelve-step program for OCD, obsessive compulsive anonymous. Effectively, it's Alcoholics Anonymous, but with OCD, and it works well because OCD is an addiction. So. Another component is in the 12-step system, you will often do what are called 10-step inventory. So every night you kind of write down briefly, they talk about it in the like credits and debits. I think of it as things that I'm happy the way I showed up mm-hmm. or I, I'm not happy with the way I showed up. Mm-hmm. And so that was important in actually identifying mm-hmm. what I was doing because very often I find that I don't even... Of course, I'm aware at some level that, oh, I'm being kind of standoffish towards my mom in these subtle ways, 
but I don't actually really think about it. How can I put it? It's like, I don't recognize the gravity of it. I don't recognize that these little moments throughout the day, they may only happen four or five times a day. Actually, they add up and they're kind of not wholly, but to a significant extent, defining my relationship with my mother Hmm. because I don't want to see it. It's easier for me if it kind of flies under the radar because there's some comfort I'm getting from that pattern. From that pattern of standoffishness or yeah, even if it's just familiarity, but there's something yeah. there's something it's I'm getting from it or I got from it at some point or I yeah. think I need from it. You know, I think it's just so easy. At least for me, I can't speak for other humans, but I think it's probably pretty universal. It's so easy to not see the little ways that were enslaved by habits and patterns that actually are contrary to who we want to be and the way we want mm-hmm. to be in life. Yeah. So were it not for these evening inventories, I don't think like I was aware of it, but I wouldn't have really, it was really sitting down every night and being like, okay, what am I happy about today? Oh, I'm happy that I, I did this and this. What am I unhappy about? Well, is I was really kind of short tempered. Are you writing? With, I'm writing it. You're writing, yeah. Writing is, is important for me yeah. in a lot of sort of spiritual self-improvement practices simply because my mind races so much. Yeah. Writing just slows it down. Yeah, I'm very curious about this this part of you that yeah, is standing in the way of like the open-hearted experience you want to be having with your mom. This part that is kind of bristling or getting easily so easily irritated with her. I'm interested in where it comes from. Well, let me just assure you right now, it has nothing to do with my childhood, Jordan. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. It has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with my mother. (laughs) No, that this was uh, this was the signature. I think the well, we talked last week about how I would get into these massive fights with my mom about nothing, and I think that's what a lot of it was. Is this sort of she says, "Pick up your toys." I just fuck no. This visceral, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious about it. A, like, yeah, I'm curious about where it comes from and like who this character inside you is. I'm curious about how you relate to this stuff when it comes up. I want to hear more about that. Like, what what kind of language do you use when you catch yourself doing that? Um, well, as yeah, I'm here into uh, to shame therapy. Right? By are you Iper. are you sufficiently you shaming? Piece of shit! How this can you be this way? This woman gave your for it to you your mother no i'm no. Cur- honestly yeah. and I, I i'm lastly i'm curious because i find this very relatable in terms of how i uh, yeah little things i catch with hannah like little just earlier today she called me to like let me know that she's coming by my house and then she has to go to an appointment and she has some groceries in the car and she wants to drop them off here while you know she might get here while we're recording she wants to drop them off here so that i and she'll just she was like oh i know you're gonna be recording so i'll just like leave them on the on the front porch and then when you're done you can put them in the fridge and like inside me there's this little like that's so reason that's wonderful and kind and <laughs> thoughtful and inside me there's still this little part that's like you're gonna like you're gonna come like you're gonna come here like you're th- like what do you want to like I think it's like I she, I feel like my life that I have this very it, it very adolescent response sometimes of just feeling like ah get out of my life like mm-hmm. ah 
it's just it I, it feels like that 16 year old we've talked about this before it's like i feel yeah. like a 16 year old whose mom's like oh you look so nice today like have a good day at school and she's like oh don't look at me like don't think about me <laughs> yeah you know it's like she, she can do she can't sometimes she just can't she can do no right, right. <laughs> she can do no right yeah <laughs> And I, I, that's, I feel like it's a similar quality of energy that you're describing with your mom. Yeah, it is. And interestingly, I don't get that with partners, but I also don't j- date Jews that often. So oh, the, baby, you got to try the good stuff. But no, there, there, ha- there have been some more recently, but... But um, Yeah, it's a desire to be involved and close that <laughs> typifies the Jewish female. <laughs> yeah, it's, but no, what you're describing is very similar, and it was very strong growing up for sure. And I should also say this is something I've been aware of for many years, and it has gotten incrementally better over the years. But I found when I was back here for this extended period of time, it was really creeping in. And so in terms of what was my kind of self-talk about it, there wasn't much. It was more like I was, again, if I wasn't doing these evening writings, I don't know if I would have identified it because it was so kind of just like humming in the background. uh, I'd be sometimes I'd probably sigh passive aggressively, but ordinarily I wouldn't give any obvious indication. But I also wouldn't be friendly. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't look up for my book, or I'd look up just kind of cur- you know cursory look up, hi, just like that, hi. And uh, so so yeah, early on at this day, I I saw through this writing, I was like, wow, this is not. And also with my my dad too. There's a s- somewhat different, but but similar tendency not i've never had that sort of annoyance thing with my dad but i think mm-hmm. now it sometimes has been coming up in the in in relation to his cognitive impairment which is yeah. we can we can talk about that perhaps later but yeah um, we got into that last time we got some of those sweet, well i mean in terms tears. of how this manifests yeah with the but it's mostly with my mom also because yeah she's just around the house more you know coming to the kitchen so I reckon, but I did with both of them. I recognized, okay, I don't want to be this way. And, and so I prayed around it. I prayed for the willingness to be, um, kind and loving and friendly. And it was pretty magical what happened. It was just this mm. huge shift that happened pretty effortlessly. There was some effort initially. I mean, this was, again, this was like October, November. I'd have to look back through my journals, but my recollection is that it wasn't overnight, but within like a week or two, it was this huge shift where what was amazing to me about it was it wasn't like, like I was prepared to white knuckle it a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. I was prepared to just be like paste on a fake grin and ask my mom, you know, if she was enjoying the book she was reading. Mm. Cause I guess I look at it often as someone who I'm, I'm deeply introverted I don't know if this is actually true, if there's any evidence for this, but you often hear this idea that introverts being with people expends en- energy while extroverts get energy from that. Mm-hmm. I-, I find it can go both ways, but often, yeah, it can be depleting being with people for sure. Not always. So I felt like, all right, if I'm going to be really friendly and kind, like, yeah, I'm committed to this. I do want to be this way, but it's probably going to cost me something energetically and effort wise. And what I found was the opposite it actually was, it brought me joy. It was like a relationship with both my parents, but particularly particularly my mother shifted and it was, this was now a source of joy in my life. She would come into the kitchen and instead of bristling, 
I would be glad that she was in the kitchen because we'd have a nice little chat for a couple of minutes. And I enjoy, I fucking enjoy talking to her. This is the thing is it's not like this person is like, we're fundamentally just at odds with each other. I, she's an incredibly intelligent woman of, of great integrity who I have the utmost respect for. And yeah. So once I kind of, what I found was it wasn't any great effort. It was prayer and, and the shift just happened where now it was like, oh, I looked forward to these little chats with her. Mm-hmm. And then there was a secondary sort of good feeling, which was like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this in different domains of your life. When something shifts really dramatically, it gives you hope and confidence, not just about that thing, but about life in general. It's like, wow, things that feel really stuck can just they can just shift mm. and you can be a different person. I'm, I am a different person with my mother now than I was, you know, over the course of the, than I was earlier on. Mm. And yeah, so it felt like, so that was a big reason I kept staying. I was like, wow, there's still, and it kept, you know, I kept opening up more and more and getting closer and closer. And it felt like it wasn't always effortless, but by and large, it felt like a very, vital thing for me full of life and yeah and then there was a period where i don't know if this is a month or two ago where i suddenly found myself bristling again i don't know why and just kind of the same thing i just sort of you know really prayed and really tried to be conscious about it in the moment and and things opened up again so that is the single biggest reason i've stayed here Mm -hmm. this long because god fixed you god fixed me uh Allah, Yahweh. I don't know which one. I don't know. I, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a they probably specific. I'm not specific prayer. Prayer. They probably got together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Took their combined monsters. No, that's beautiful. Whenever you talk about prayer, I, uh, I play with it sometimes, not as much as you, and I'm always reminded that I should incorporate it a little I bit think, more. Yeah. I. To me, it's 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 one of the. It's kind of like psychedelics, where there's not nothing else like it. It's its yeah. own unique thing yeah, that fulfills I, a unique role. Yeah. And but anyway, so, what's 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 going on now? Yeah, so that's sort of been the journey of being here, but there's been other parallel journeys as well. One we've talked about is this creative project that has been dogging me where I can actually I'll, I'll talk about it now because it is going to be out next week, so it'll be out by the time this episode comes out. Ooh. So it is a psychedelic news show in the vein of, I'd say the closest analog would be last week tonight with John Oliver Mm. uh, or the daily show. You've seen an an early draft of it. Um, Highly recommended. Yeah. So I I came up with this idea in April. I thought I could knock it out in a couple of weeks. It, it turned into basically there were other people involved. Hamilton Morris was my co-host. We were both co-hosting it. A close friend of mine was filming it and directing it. We shot a pilot in June that you were involved in too. You had a role in it too. Then the pilot did not come out well because Jordan ruined it. Um, <laughs> no, the pilot did not come out well because, frankly, I wasn't. I it, it just it wasn't cooked. The script wasn't totally cooked. The concept wasn't totally cooked. It was a little premature. I'd never done anything like that before. So when I actually watched the pilot and everyone who saw it agreed, it was just like, yeah, we could do a lot better than this. Then Hamilton's show on Vice got picked up again. It was on hiatus because of the pandemic, so he had to bow out. Then 
my friend who was directing and filming it got a really long-term case of COVID and then his wife was pregnant and then he, so he had to bow out. So it was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to do this all on my own. Even though I've never filmed anything, I've never directed anything. I've never, I don't even know how to do video editing software or graphic design. I've learned all of those things. And it's been, it's been challenging. It's for, it's really put me in, conflict with my perfectionism and it's so it's what i thought was going to take two weeks has taken eight or nine months now and it's been at times really really agonizing i mean i spent a week of my life obsessing about what type of lighting setup i needed for these videos mm-hmm. like 40 or 50 hours researching lighting buying lighting returning lighting it doesn't fucking matter for this thing it's not like any, no one's going to look at this and think it was like a major you know studio production it's clearly some dude doing this on his own and i think that's part of the charm but so i don't want to get too much into it but that has been another I'd say the other major, you know, uh, f- what, what does Freud say? Love and work. Those are the two big things. So love in, in my, the last eight months has been in the form of familial love. There hasn't been any romantic love and work. This has been my work. And, you know, ultimately what I'm going to put out is something that has taken thousands of hours. And I know now I could have put it out and it would have been 98% as good as it is with literally a 10th of that work. Like I didn't need to spend three days figuring out how dark the shadow should be on the pictures in the picture when they're projected on the screen behind me. But I spent three days on that. So it's been learning both how to do this as well as the still very tricky for me dance of control and letting go. Yeah. And so what started happening recently so there have been, uh, I'll say a little bit, there have been times of real despair about this project where it's like, I'm just not going to fucking ever get it done. Keep in mind, this is a news project. So I'm working on something that was current nine months ago. The specific subject, though, is sort of a little bit of an evergreen topic, I think, of the psychedelic world, at least right now. So it's not yeah. totally time sensitive, yeah, but there has fresh. been. Actually, more. I mean. Yeah, arguably the timing arguably is better the now. the timing is good. Yeah, yeah. It's really been bubbling up. Yeah. But there have been times of real just abject distress where I'm just like, wow, I just can't finish this fucking thing. I just can't. I think we talked about this, I don't know, the podcast, but you know, I'm used to doing live performance and the virtue of live performance as an obsessive perfectionist is I go on stage, I do the fucking show. Oftentimes on stage, I'm not up, I I am up there being self-critical or criticizing the audience in my head or thinking about what should I, uh, should I maybe, you know, maybe that part of the stage is better lit. I'll, let me be clear when I'm really in the flow, none of that's happening, but there are times when it is happening, but I still, the show must go on. I can't stop, you know, halfway through and be like, ah, you know what? Um, it's funny as I'm saying this, I actually have done this on rare occasions, rare occasions. I have done this and said, you know what, can we, the spotlight's too bright. Let's, let's, let's change that. I have done that. Or I've often said, not often, occasionally been like critique my own performance to the audience during the show or critique them. But that was early in my performance career. I I have learned that that is, it's never a good idea unless if you're certain types of with stand-up, you can get away with it because you can break the fourth wall. But if I'm doing like the mushroom cure, it's <laughs> it's generally not good. Though sometimes it can work in that context because there have been times where I've kind of snapped and people have 
the majority of audience members have thought it was part of the sh- have thought that it was part of the show because I'm talking about I'm depicting myself at a time in my life when my OCD was the worst it's ever been and now suddenly I'm act I'm breaking the fourth wall to act like someone who's having bad OCD because the lighting is not the right sh- the right color temperature <laughs> so I have been able to get away with it life and art for Adam Strauss <laughs> inextricably well, well, yeah, because it's all Adam Strauss. I'm never, I'm, I'm not, I remember Playbill when they they reviewed my show back in 2014 or 15. And the, the review started like, actor Adam Strauss. And I got furious. I was like, I'm not an actor. To me, that was a fucking insult. <laughs> I've since come to see it as actually a compliment in a way. But, but yeah, I don't consider myself an actor. Yeah. Um, well, not here where you are stripped to your bare naked core. <laughs> yes. That's my, my parents' bedroom specifically, which is where I'm doing this from. <laughs> we don't have to analyze that. So, okay, but I want to hear something yeah. hard, came up. For, you had a hard time this week. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm um, I'm I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. Everyone's dancing, a critic, man. You're dancing around it. <laughs> well, I'm I holding think you to the fire today. I, I think it all it's yeah, it all, well, I, I, the reason I'm providing all this context is because, as I said, I, I'm not really sure what's going on now, but yeah. I think I think it has something to do with both of these um, yeah. things in my life, parental yeah. relationship and work with this, this yeah. project. Undoubtedly, but it's interesting that, like, yeah, that you feel the need to lay the frame, to lay so much groundwork before getting into... We're doing we're doing the like explaining and understanding thing, mm-hmm. yeah. Rather than just going like ah, I had fucked up some fucked up feelings come up this week. I don't know what's going on. Um, what? Well, yeah, you led th- with a lot of a lot of um, setup in terms of explanation. Nothing, obviously, nothing wrong with that. I'm just noticing that. I think that's a function of the fact that this is that this that this is not therapy. It is a podcast. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a sense of oh I'm sharing a narrative of my life over time on this yeah. podcast and you are too more and more which is great and so let me catch people up yeah. as to what's been going on because we haven't really done one where we've talked about what the present moment stuff for me in in several months so I think that's part of it. You assume I, I I operate under the assumption that every one of our listeners has listened to every episode with rapt attention. They take notes. They have a poster. Oh no, on their I assume that too. Where they have schematics of like here's what's going on in our lives. Like pictures. I think there's of probably us. an app. There's a fan app where they can like <laughs> they can track what's going on. Yeah. No. There's but, betting. But we, there's betting pools. There's like <laughs> there's an entire like cryptocurrency like non non fungible token market. <laughs> Placing massive bets on the outcome. Is Jordan Hannah going to make what, it? What are, the, what are the odds? What are the odds? I, we don't even want to know. No, but the point is that we haven't talked about this on the podcast. We haven't talked. I don't think we've talked about what's been going on with me on the podcast, because par- partially because we took a pretty long hiatus on the podcast. Then last week, we talked about stuff that had happened yeah. in the more distant past. But I feel like the last three or four, I don't think we've had, we've talked about what's happened, been happening with me on the podcast in any depth since probably like October or so. Wow, I don't think we've okay. covered any of this. This is virgin territory Ooh. that we're, we're we're covering. So right. that that's really the answer to your question, Jordan. Is that yeah? If this were therapy, I would lead with, "Hey, here's what's going on right now." But this is not therapy. So, but it's is, not not therapy. 
Yeah. It's not, not, not there. It's not, not. It's, so, um, yeah. And so the overall emotional temperature of my time over these months has, well, you know, there's always ups and downs with me as there are with all people, but I think I'm, you know, they tend to be more intense, the the highs and the lows, it seems, yeah. Than, yeah. than most people. But there has been a great deal of joy and then at times distress again largely over this project but a, a lot a lot of joy and and a lot of peace and a sense of growth and and also a sense of okay i'm gonna leave here at some point but i don't know when that is and i don't really even have to worry about it and there's also been generally very little overt ocd meaning not much getting caught in should i do this or should i do that mm-hmm. so it started happening this was about three weeks ago. I I don't remember the the exact context, but I had a um, yeah. See, I still want to. Get, I don't know. I mean, well, here's the other it, in terms of getting to the background is there is a sort of mania that I have for completeness and being understood, which I think is to yeah. some extent an OCD feature, but also to some extent the fact that I am through and through a storyteller, you know, I've always been that before I ever got on stage. I love stories and I love, I love making my own stories and understanding my life through story, hearing people's stories. So yeah, it's hard for you to, to share something and and not feel like the story is complete around it on the podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think for a podcast like this, again, I feel like, yeah, we, we haven't talked about what's been going on with me since October. So it, it does feel like, um, that tendency to want to make sure people know the story is is heightened in this form. Well, keep telling me about what what you were saying has been going on the last three weeks, and we'll fill in it as needed. Yeah, I don't know exactly what's been going on the last three weeks, but I, I had this really intense sobbing fit about three weeks ago, and... I think we've talked about this, you know, when I was on SSRIs, I couldn't cry essentially yeah. at all. Now I usually cry during psychedelic experiences, but I don't have psychedelic experiences that frequently. And then I sometimes cry like, yeah, I would say on average, maybe it's like once a month. If that maybe every other month that I can get a good cry in. Not bad. Not bad for a, you know, an American male in 2021, but I think very bad for a human. I don't think, I think yeah. we, 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 sh- were designed. I mean, evolution gave us the ability to cry. No other animal has that ability. So far as we know, animals can tear up. Yeah. And to me, crying can play a unique role in facilitating acceptance, as can laughter. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, we've yeah, we've talked about this a number of times. Yeah. On, on the show, it's the most it's the most prized experience for me to have. Like, if I could, yeah, if I could, like. Yeah, if there was like a button I could, if there was like a person I could go see, you know, like a, if I went to see my like crying, could go see my crying specialist, like I would be willing to pay $500 a session if I could be yeah. assured that I was going to like ball, like sob. Yeah. Totally worth $500 for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you could orchestrate that by giving you the right drugs and maybe feeding you certain lies, like, you know, oh, a loved one is sick or something like that. Just, <laughs> I don't know what the ethics of that would be, but I am going to look into that as a business model for... Whatever, the market is there. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, as you said, I mean, I think a lot of people, particularly males, don't even cry every other month. But, but we talked about him a little bit. I think Martin Prechtel, someone I discovered recently, who's just yeah, you brought him up in the last yeah. Show. And if people aren't crying in in their in their particular mind society, it's a big fucking problem. You mm-hmm. have to cry, and they have professional mourners who will basically try to get you started. Yeah. <laughs> they'll and they'll even do you know they'll they have certain practices. And he says that this is the this is the proper use of alcohol. Is all else fails, they give you a bottle of tequila. You're still not crying. They give you another bottle of tequila. He also talks about how you need a village to mourn. That mourning on your own, I mean, it's better than nothing, but it, the more people, the better. And I think there's a lot to that. Anyway, to stay a little bit focused here. <laughs> so, so yeah, I had this really intense. So often the way I cry now is like I'll feel like I could cry and I will do things to encourage it, listening to music, thinking, you know, recalling certain memories, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But this one just kind of came on and and it felt amazing. It was like a full-on sob and it was the first real like full-on just totally like I couldn't stop if I wanted to sob I'd had in, in many months, I think. Mm. And actually, I mean, it's rare for me to have that full-on sob outside of psychedelics. I can yeah. get a good cry and semi-regularly, but the real just like can barely breathe because it just keeps coming and keeps coming. I mean, this was mm. like 10 minutes of just Ooh. writhing around just... And it felt amazing. And the next day I, I woke up and I was I was making breakfast and I felt like I could sob again. And so I went upstairs and I did it again. And it was it was and there wasn't it wasn't clear to me what I was crying over. Mm-hmm. Around the same time I started feeling significantly more anxiety. Mm. And this was Unlike as we were saying, typically I can, I can have some narrative that oh I'm feeling anxiety because I'm anxious about this, I'm worried about this, I'm obsessing about that. This it was not clear to me where the anxiety was coming from. It was just this free floating, quite intense anxiety. And yeah, and that that has largely continued. I didn't cry again for maybe I don't know another week or two. But the anxiety continued and in fact built and seemed to get significantly worse. The weather here in Massachusetts really turned about two weeks ago. It was going from, you know, like high in the low 30s to high in the mid 50s, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. And then the clock changed, the days were longer. And it seemed like the anxiety really redoubled after that. Just Mm -hmm. much, much, much more intense. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure it out. I thought, well, maybe it's a little bit of an OCD thing because I love the outdoors so much. It's kind of painful being inside when it's nice out. It's easier when it's, you know, gray and cold. Mm. So I felt like, well, maybe I'm just kind of like feeling like this sort of optimization thing. Like, oh, it's nice out. I should be spending more time outside, but I want to finish this fucking project. And mm-hmm. and then I thought, well, maybe I'm kind of, you know, I have, I have been experiencing very little of my sort of classic form of OCD. So maybe it's like a detox thing, the same way an alcoholic stops drinking, they're gonna be pretty damn uncomfortable. Because Mm -hmm. even though OCD ultimately creates much more anxiety, in the very, 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 very short term, there can be a little bit of relief when you engage in a a compulsive 
yeah. thinking pattern or, or ritual. So, I like so, that concept, like OCD withdrawal. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not I'm not picking up my drug of choice, which is OCD. So yeah, I'm just I kind of have the DTs. I'm shaky. Yeah, or, or you know, the DTs uh, define a condition where you're actively your body is actively missing the substance yeah. it was addicted to. But it, it you know it could also be thought about uh, another way to think about this condition could be like the the first layer of defense or protection of obsession is stripped away so something else bubbles up to the surface i often talk to people you know who struggle with addiction that i meet in the emergency room about this like yeah when you go into treatment when you get when you get sober it's not like it's kind of it's going to be like oh congratulations now you get to deal with the crippling depression that is (laughs) right that you're animating (laughs) your desire to numb yourself with uh, some sort of substance yeah. So that yeah. could be yeah, maybe that could be a way to think about it. Yeah. No, that that's that I think that's a good way to look at it too. Is right. Whatever whatever pain the OCD is designed to cover up is now is now not being covered up. But I don't know if that's what's going on and because it started then we about uh a week ago it started getting So also concurrent with this was this feeling that the project was stalling out again so that I was like maybe that's part of it but mm-hmm. but then I started feeling like I'm making progress on the project and and I think this work thing is part of the anxiety because when I have a day where I feel like I'm doing good work the anxiety is definitely less but it also is the sort of vicious cycle where when I'm anxious I'm often flitting about from task to task not really getting anything done which in turn makes me more anxious because I'm not getting anything done, which in turn makes me check my phone and flit about from task to task. So I've been getting a lot of that of late. But I really thought as the weather got particularly glorious starting about a week ago, it seems like it's, it's, I've always perceived myself as being maybe not unusually sensitive because I think most people are sensitive, but certainly very sensitive to weather. Like a big difference in my overall mood if it's gray and cloudy versus if it's sunny Mm -hmm. let me be specific sunshine versus clouds has seems to make a big difference in my mood much more so than warmth versus cold Mm -hmm. and i i i love it when it's sunny out but yet it felt to me like there was a dread of these beautiful days here Mm. like that's how it felt like i would wake up in the morning i'd look out the window i'd see the sky the sun in this perfect blue sky and feel this stab of anxiety which again early on i felt like well maybe it's like now because i'm obsessing should i go to the beach today or work but it feels like it's almost just a chemical thing where something being triggered and i was talking to this idea was sort of planted i was talking to a friend and just saying yeah i'm just feeling a lot of anxiety and it's not like i'm having ocd and she said well maybe it's you know it's spring things are awakening Mm-hmm. I don't know, but and it, it got, is it, it's it's still coronavirus out there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know. I I had a I had, this morning I opened up uh, like Tim Ferriss's Five Bullet Friday email, mm-hmm. and he had a little thing that said there was like a link, like twenty one places to travel or something in twenty twenty one. And his little blurb was like, oh, dreaming about when I get my vaccine. And I had this little thing of like, shit, like I have the vaccine. Should I be, should I be traveling? <laughs> yeah. Like, am I not 
oh, I should be taking advantage. It's I an optimization, that- uh, optimization anxiety. I feel like since I have the vaccine and I have the ability in my schedule, I should be traveling. But I don't really want to for some reason right now. I still, I still, I kind of want to be hunkered down, just kind of thinking, learning, working on myself, working on creative projects. Um, and I feel, yeah, I'll beat myself up about that sometimes. Like I had a, I was, I bought a ski pass to go to the mountains and ski this winter. And I'm not even going to, I'm not going to go enough times to make it worth it. And I've beaten myself up for like, Oh, you like have this thing, you should use it. And I would, and I like caught myself the ridiculousness of like, it's, it's a sunk cost. You paid for the ski pass. (laughs) You're beating yourself up for not wanting to go and like buy food and a hotel room and pay for gas to go use this thing. Like if you don't want to use it, don't use it, whatever. Um, but I've been, I've, I've noticed that in myself a lot the last few months. I think the world still feels like a hard place to be, to just be moving around in. It's just no, still no one's making eye contact. Everyone's there's, there's fear in the air everywhere you go. And I would, I would suggest also being a sensitive person. Like you feel that when you're moving around in the world, no one's, no one, everyone's scared right now. And I, I, it's kind of, I don't know. I pick that up out in the world. I've wondered if for me, if that's part of what's going on for me with this like traveling anxiety. Well, as you were talking, what came up for me is I do think there's a part of me that doesn't want the pandemic to be over. Yeah. Yeah. Because it feels a little bit, I think there's some analogy to winter itself where I, I do feel like maybe part of the weather thing is when it's 30 degrees out and freezing it's like, well, there's really nothing else to do, so it, I feel okay hunkering down here yeah. and working. And also, it feels like more okay being at my parents' house in a way. Like, yeah, I'm kind of, I've kind of retreated from the world, but it's a time to retreat from the world. Yeah, yeah. And the so great thing that are opening up. Yeah, like it was especially early on when I was when this started. There was this sense of I think we both talked about it of relief of like an enforced pause. I would never, ever, ever in my life would I have said, "Hey, I'm going to take even a week from off for performing, let alone a year." But the yeah. fact that it was enforced, I had no choice. You know, it's you talked I think on our early podcast how relieving it was to have yeah. all these options taken off the table when you were planning on should I go to Peru this summer? Should yeah. I? And so I think there is something to that. And particularly, I wonder if it's that then compounded by the nice weather is this feeling of like, oh, the, uh, the, the winter literally, but also the metaphorical winter is drawing to a close hmm. and now it's time to reenter the flow of life. And part of me maybe doesn't want to, even though part of me is very eager to. Mm-hmm. Totally. I, I see that in myself. Definitely. Like there's moments where I'm like, oh my God, I need this to be over. I just need to go to like a potluck <laughs> so goddamn badly. Who, who goes to potlucks? I haven't been to a potluck in, ever, I don't uh, think. B- the Bay Area. big The Bay, right, right. Yeah. I, oh yeah, yeah. I guess a I-, lot of I pot, Potluck right. land. Yeah. I usually bring blueberries. That's my go-to. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Just, just like of, pints and pints of blueberries. I know, like chocolate and blueberries. I've never, I've always 
I feel like I'm never a good potluck guest. Everyone brings some like some rice salad that is very ornate and <laughs> like a bar of chocolate. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I feel that. But then I'll, I will have moments where I'll like uh, look at the look at the paper and it's like. Oh, lockdown predicted to go through 2024. And I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a reaction there. And I think part of it is also the optimization thing, though, where it's like this felt felt like free time. I didn't have yeah. to worry. Like, yeah, I was spending all this time in this one project, but it was free time for me in the sense of if it wasn't for the lockdown, I'd just be doing shows. I wouldn't be doing mm-hmm. this project anyway. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's hard for me to totally piece it together, but I feel like that probably is an element but it it sounded like it was really coming up like you texted me the other day and said oh yeah still feeling in the same the same oh much worse it was you said am i still feeling or the other day when you texted yeah the other day when i texted you i would say was one of the few times in my life i've never been suicidal Mm -hmm. and i've never really understood suicidality i because to me it's I think it's something Donald Antrim has a great, do you know who that is? No. He's a great author. He, he has a great essay about it where he talks about, I think his mother committed suicide and, mm. and, and he struggled with it. And he talks about it almost as it's like its own independent. People think it's a, it comes from depression, but actually you're, you're su- it's, it's its own disorder, its own condition being suicidal. Some people have it. Some people don't. Mm-hmm. It, 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 is pretty persuasive the way he looks at it. That's so very interesting because that's also a strain in uh, sort of like conventional psychiatric thought, which I actually, for a long time, I bristled against. I thought it sounded stupid the idea that suicidality as an entity, yeah, like could be thought of as an independent thing. construct. But it is thought of that way. Like there are certain medications that are th- known to like improve suicidality and ketamine also is mm-hmm. is now increasingly thought of as something that can potently treat suicidal ideation and i think that um yeah i think the longer that i've been a psychiatrist the more i've come to have an appreciation and acceptance for that concept that the that the impulse to annihilate oneself can be a separate entity that's not necessarily on the on a just on a severe end of a continuum of depression yeah yeah and i i mean to be fair i've also never experienced depression but but to answer your question when i texted you there have been a few moments in my life where i've been like oh i get it Mm -hmm. i get it like if this if this continued then yes i i think i would i i hesitate to say this because it's it's i don't i can't imagine actually killing myself but in those moments i've been able to to imagine it in a way that i haven't uh, and that that was one of those moments yeah <laughs> that's about as close as i've ever come as those as moments of one of them like that um when i was on the the blizzard the episode we recorded yeah. the blizzard like that night it was like three in the morning i couldn't sleep um i was just looping around like you're broken you'll never find love you're gonna you're, this relationship is over you're toxic and won't find another one. And I had a moment, you know, associated with not being able to sleep, which is a very potent risk factor for suicide moment of being Mm -hmm. like, I see why people kill themselves. Yeah. I see why people kill themselves. But then you're like, I have a podcast. I have so much to live for. I have have a podcast. I have a ski pass I've already paid for. (laughs) 
that was it. That was your list. Podcast ski pass, and that that's brought you through to today. That I think is a potent intervention intervention against suicidality. Give people a podcast. <laughs> Give everyone a podcast. Give them a ski pass, or make them buy the ski pass, so it's a personal sunk cost. It's, it's it certainly does though feel like. I mean, it it is helpful for me. I think for both of us and. I'm the I'm I'm sort of compulsively productive. I need I I need to trick myself into thinking that th- when I'm suffering that it's that it's for something mm-hmm. that it's that it's useful in some way that it's grist for the mill and I think doing a podcast where we talk about our innermost experiences of the human condition is really helpful for me in taking more interest in it. Well, this has been for me with performance, um, less stand up than the solo shows where it's, it's always been the sort of redeeming thing of like, all right, well I'm suffering now, but this is going to be, this is going to be, this is going to make a a great story on stage. Yeah. Yeah. The other day you were circling the drain. Yeah. So you were hurting big time. So again, I do feel like the weather is maybe a factor because it felt it was so I had um, I had this backing up a few days before that. So I so it's been maybe a week of this really just intense, basically waking up, seeing the sun, feeling anxiety, being like, okay, I'm just gonna you know I'm gonna just however today goes it goes. I'm just gonna do my best. But already there's this dread building. Typically I have an okay morning. I'll do a little bit of work in the morning. But as the afternoon wears on, the anxiety is just, it's reaching a level of intensity that I rarely experience and really never experience if it's not connected to a particular problem or cause. And this doesn't necessarily feel connected to a... No, no, it doesn't at all. I can come up with plausible, maybe it's about this, it could be about that, but it doesn't clearly feel connected to anything. So we're talking about, and so on uh, like five, six days ago, I'd had a particularly bad day. And the next day I was like, you know what? I just, I can't take the thought of another day, another gorgeous day and just suffering. So I'm going to go to the Cape. And I went to the Cape for the day and had a really, really beautiful experience. Just had felt great peace, felt a more of a spiritual connection to, and I, I don't love the word God, but I'll use that term because it is a relationship that I'm pretty consistently trying to cultivate mm-hmm. in my life. A relationship with you know higher self, higher power, God, uh, Beelzebub, whatever you want to use. There's, <laughs> you don't juice. have to get into labels. <laughs> uh, Kanye West. It's uh, <laughs> whoever's up there. I'd, I'd put Jay Z way ahead of Kanye, but, uh, <laughs> way way ahead. I don't. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I had this experience at the Cape where particularly because I've discovered recently a new part of the Cape, which is amazing to me because I've spent so much time there, which I really, really love. And it was just, and I felt like coming out of that experience, I felt so like clear. Oh, and I had no, none of this anxiety or suffering on this beautiful day in nature. And I felt like, yeah, I'm just really, I don't know what's going on, but like, I'm fine. That was what I got. I was like, you're fine, man. You're fine. Like, yeah, you experience intense emotions sometimes, but you're in a good place in a lot of areas of your life. Like you're, you're growing, you're showing up to life, you're loving people around you, you're being of service, you're doing work that you value. Yeah, the work is going slower than I'd like. Yeah, I don't have a romantic relationship. Yeah, there's all these little asterisks and caveats, but overall it's like you're in a good place. And 
hey, come back here often. That was also part of the sort of <laughs> thinking is, you know what, if you have to, if to make your existence work right now, you have to spend two or even three days a week by the ocean, well, you're damn lucky that you can do that. You're damn lucky that this gives you so much peace and pleasure. And and also an element of kind of self-compassion that sure, if I didn't have the intense emotional stuff I have, then I probably would be more productive, but I do have this stuff. And so I am gonna make accommodations and I am going to give yeah. myself certain things that feel like they're healthy for me, including spending more time on the beach than most most people do. Yeah, and this stuff is obviously intimately connected to your to your productivity and your your talents and your gifts. Like your your wounds are I think they're connected to my Yes. Yeah. I don't know about I mean it seems like it's a productivity is that I just say it was Hannah Shaw. Oh, God, I could just I could just see you, your 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 rage. Oh my god. Oh. <laughs> Um, uh, just like bringing me f- like food, just yeah. like, lo- like, just like just my like mom cooking me. me dinner every night. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Like, stop loving me. Ugh. So, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I, I'm just trying to, sorry, cause I, I have to go relatively soon for the dinner my mom is cooking. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> um, just like <laughs> so manipulative. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I came out of that feeling like, okay, one problem was I just needed a little bit of break from being around, you know, everyone at my parents' sure, house. Yeah. Two, I hadn't gotten a good nature fix. And three, like, yeah, I'm trying to do something really fucking hard with this project. There's a lot of emotion around, you know, my dad and all this stuff. And like, yeah, you're, you're so give yourself this experience. And I also felt like, you know, and however it goes tomorrow, if I have a lot of anxiety, I have a lot of anxiety. Just, you know, just, mm-hmm. just keep showing up. You're doing fine. Mm. And the next day... I woke up, beautiful day. It was kind of like, I was. it sounds so funny in this context, but it was almost like I was whistling in the dark. I was telling myself, okay, it's okay. It's a beautiful day, something that I would have loved ordinarily, but it's already striking fear in me. This is the day after I went to the ocean. And I'm like, all right, just try to do some work. And I knew what I wanted to work on and I tried to work on it, but I just, the anxiety was so fucking intense. And finally, like four o'clock in the afternoon, I just started sobbing. I hadn't been able to do any work. It just felt like something was broken. And so I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm just going to go for a walk. And I was going for a walk. And so I've, I'm at, at my best. I'm a once a day crier. Like a crying is, is I've never been able to do it more than once a day, mm-hmm. but I'm on this walk in fucking public walking around. And for no reason, I start sobbing. Mm-hmm. Just sobbing, walking down the street. Mm. There weren't wasn't really anyone around, but I was like, "What the fuck?" And then <laughs> I'll just relate this story. I don't, know, yeah. Um, we can edit. I I'm not gonna fucking edit it out. This is what happened. So then I just had this sobbing fit on the street, and and I don't know what it's you know. There's something about maybe the poignancy of these beautiful days. Maybe it does connect to my father. There's all this stuff swirling around in my head and my heart, but I just stopped crying. And like most people, uh, so my parents live in Brookline, Massachusetts. There's not a lot of people on the streets here. You know, it's the suburbs. So I often will walk 10 or 15 minutes without seeing another human, during which time I am not wearing a mask. My mask is in my pocket. And whenever I 
come within, you know, 20 feet of someone, I do put on the mask just courtesy. And everyone else here generally does too. But because I'd just been sobbing, I was kind of in my own world and I didn't notice or I didn't register uh, a couple walking a dog on the other side of the street from me. And these are big, broad Brookline avenues, you know, 30 feet away across the street, someone was walking. And this guy says, hey, where's your mask? No I way. Like, oh, it's, I was like, oh, it's, it's right here. I was just kind of, I was still kind of stunned from the crying and I reached in my pocket and pulled it out. Like I didn't even realize what he was getting. I was like, I just was like, oh, here it is. And he's like, well, put it on. And I looked at him. I was like, I'm, I'm 30 feet away from you. There's no one else around. I'm, I'm, I'll put it on when I get close to someone. And he said, put on your fucking mask. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And I was like, no. And I was, maybe I was almost in a whining. I was, I was just so depleted from crying. I was like, no, I'm not putting on my mask. I'm of no risk to you or anyone. And he was like, put it on. I was like, listen, you know, there's no danger. And he's like, I don't know that. You don't know that. No one knows everything about this virus. Put on your fucking mask. <laughs> and, and I just snapped in a way I've never snapped with an, in the presence of another human. I have raged sometimes similarly on my own, but not for this. Maybe I had when I was, I'm sh- actually, this isn't true. When I have snapped like this was when I was a little kid with my mom, mm. but not in decades. And I just started bellowing at the absolute top of my lungs. And I don't remember exactly what I, some of what I said, but I said something like, you don't fucking know what's going on with my life. I want to fucking die. So come over here and kick my ass, you little fucking bitch. Wow. But like at 10,000 decibels on the silent streets of Brookline, Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah, just, and uh, it was intense. And he did not take me up on his offer, (laughs) on my offer. Uh, He started walking away and I actually started going after him a little bit. (laughs) I took a few steps and then I was like, what what am I going to do? Like just, I mean... Yeah, in that moment though, I really I felt like, yeah, bring it on. Like I felt like I wouldn't even fight back. I just let him hit me. I didn't even huh. I would uh or maybe I would have fought back. I, I there was, was no like logic inviting of, him to come. It was like you weren't looking for a fight. You were looking you I don't were, know what I was looking yeah. for. Uh I don't know what I was looking for. So and then I was like, well, at least I'm done crying for today because anger always precludes tears. You know, anger is an attempt to eliminate hurt and loss uh-huh. and tears are opening up to hurt and loss. So then I was shocked. Like three minutes later, I started sobbing again. And I think that was when I texted you. And that's when I felt like I'm just like, I felt, I felt <sighs> trying to, unsafe isn't the right word i i felt profoundly unwell and i felt like yeah a sense of as close as i've ever been to suicide i think which is not close but a a a sense of like yeah i i could see how it could go there yeah and um yeah i and I, i cried three or four times i couldn't stop crying that that day Mm. and the next day it was beautiful out so i was like fuck it i'm going to the ocean again and also had a really good day and i do have to go in a few minutes for dinner but i want to try to wrap this up so what i would say is um you know my better moments or my more courageous moments 
I look at it as like, okay, I'm going through something mm-hmm. and there's really no understanding it or figuring it out. Like that's not to say that there aren't things that need to be understood or figured out because there may be changes that I need to make, mm-hmm. but that in those moments of distress, it really is just, just, um, you know, batten down the hatches or better yet, let, let leave the hatches open so that whatever's washing over me, you know, fully washes through me. It's a little bit of a clumsy metaphor, but you get where I'm going with that. Love Just kind of metaphor. open up to, to the experience as best I can yeah. and trust that I will get through this and that what's happening is that this is happening for a reason and not necessarily a reason in the superficial sense. This is happening because I'm upset about my dad or this is happening because I'm frustrated with my career, but maybe a deep sort of logic in my body and in my soul that this is something that I have to, like there's something going on. There's some sort of shift getting processed or released or assimilated. I would like to think. And I mostly do think and I wish I could navigate it with more grace yeah. at times, but yeah, it's, um, today is actually the best day I've had in, in over a week. And I think part of it is I did feel somewhat productive today. I got some things done with this project that needed to get done. And it felt like I actually made progress because often what's very painful is it feels like I'm not making progress on these specific things like color correcting the footage because I don't know how to fucking do it. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of watching YouTube tutorials and feeling like, am I learning this? Am I not learning this? Whereas today was specific discrete tasks that I could progress at. Um, I don't know, but today's been, today has been markedly better but there is a sense of also, yeah, maybe it is time to to make some changes mm-hmm. to leave here, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, well, I like the balance that I'm hearing you strike between, like, maybe there are some lessons, some discrete lessons to be drawn from what's going on right now. Maybe there are some changes that you need to make in your life. Like, clearly, like... You go to the ocean, you feel good. You don't go to the ocean, you have a bad day. Like there's, you know, there's information in all of this yeah. that maybe can drive your your actions in the world, but also just like, yeah, the whole holding open the spaciousness for whatever is happening to be happening, and that takes a lot of courage, especially when it's an extended when it's happening over days or weeks. It's kind of the same it's the same approach that one wants to bring to a psychedelic experience. And it's very hard in a psychedelic experience to just say, okay, for the next three hours, I'm just going to lose my mind and feel terrible and feel like I'm getting torn to pieces, but it, it it's contained and you know, it's going to end. It's a lot harder when it's like, okay, something's going on for a couple weeks here and I'm just going to let it play out and let, yeah, you used like a string of three words. I didn't hang on to exactly what they were, but just like something assimilating, integrating, moving mm-hmm. through you. Uh, and I think that's so beautiful. And I'm inclined to invite you to, I'm, I appreciate you sharing it on the recording. And I'm inclined to invite you to like stay in that energy of allowing whatever is moving through you to keep moving through you and for us to come back, you know, for our next session and just drop into it and see you know, like hear more about what's going on and hope, you know, hopefully, uh, 
the innocent pedestrians and or turkeys of Brookline, <laughs> the streets of Brookline, Massachusetts are okay in the process. That guy was yeah. a huge asshole though. Fuck that guy. He was, but also I look at it like, I don't know his story. He could have lost someone to COVID right. recently. He could have, yes, he was an asshole. He didn't have to say put on your fucking right. mask, but also he is technically right. The, the law here is you have to wear a mask. So yeah, he was an asshole. He was, he was an, an asshole. asshole. But and, yeah, or, or uh, he was an asshole divinely sent by uh, God, Beelzebub, and Yahweh. Is that how you pronounce it? Beelzebub. I'm pronouncing it. That's why my prayers aren't being answered. I'm pronouncing Beelzebub's name wrong. Yeah, it's getting, it's getting, it's embarrassing. Get rerouted. We'll have, to, we'll have to fix that in the edit. Yeah, uh, that guy was, that guy was sent to be a teacher for you. I don't know what he taught me. I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there was much teaching there. <laughs> I mean, anger is, we've not talked that much about it, but it's, that certainly has been, I would say anger is the single, the, the single area in my life that I've seen the least movement huh. and change in. We haven't talked um, about There's yeah. been significant movement and change, but it's still like, I can still get overtaken, but it's usually when I'm alone. Hmm. It's usually when I'm alone is rarely in the presence of another person. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, we're at, we'll, we'll we'll drop into it more next next time. And by All next right. time, you'll be famous, <laughs> even more famous. I have yeah. We'll see how the how the world receives this. I I feel like indifference is probably the most likely reaction, but uh, they might not be ready. But they will they'll be ready. <laughs> they'll be ready at some point. Hopefully during your lifetime. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Wasn't wasn't Moby Dick out of print at the time? Yeah. Well, I think it was. Um, that's a great fucking book. Anyway, I'm going to go um, resentfully eat the delicious dinner my mom has cooked. <laughs> <laughs> no, appreciate you. Appreciate you, you know, allowing me to share all this stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. Thanks for sharing. Love you, dude. Love you too. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.